You are listening to The Star Coach Show with Meg Rentschler, episode 139. If we see our role as coaches to help someone see their patterns or their relationship to whatever is happening, then we are upholding a boundary that allows us to do our best work. And when we start to move into, maybe it's colluding. Yeah, I agree. You've got the worst boss in the world. Or maybe it is rescuing. Then my boundary is not where it needs to be for me to do my best work. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, Take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rinchler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Well, hello. Welcome back to the Star Coach Show. I'm your host, Meg Rentschler. And once again, this week, we are going to do exactly what STAR stands for. We're going to explore strategies, tools, and resources for you, the professional coach. And I have a treat for you today. We have an interview with Dr. Pamela McLean, the CEO and co-founder of the Hudson Institute of Coaching, which is an organization with over 30 years of history, known as one of the leading coach training programs in the United States. Dr. McLean is the author of two dynamic books around professional coaching. Her first book, The Completely Revised Handbook of Coaching, she wrote in 2012. And her newest book, Self as Coach, Self as Leader, Developing the Best in You to Develop the Best in Others, is the focus of our interview today. Now, Pam and I are going to do a deep dive into her book in looking at the internal landscape of the coach. For those of you who have been listeners for a while of the show, you know that there's several times that we refer to the importance of us looking inward as a coach and making sure that we're showing up in the way that we need to by managing our experiences, managing our model of the world, and sort of that whole concept of physician heal thyself. Also coach, you know, be sure that you are healed and and showing up in the partnership in the best way that you can. Well, my talk with Pam takes that even deeper as we explore the six dimensions of self as coach. We're going to look at the concept of these six dimensions. And Pam goes into detail about each of the dimensions and different things that we might need to do, think about, and ways to be in each of these dimensions. This was one of my very favorite interviews as we explore Pam's experience, what she brings to the field of coaching, and how we can look through this lens of self as coach, self as leader, how valuable her book is, and just these concepts are for not only us looking internally as coaches, but also how we could use this book in our work with leaders. It was 
just really enlightening and a powerful time that I enjoyed spending with Pam and I'm looking forward to sharing with you. So let's go to my interview with Dr. Pamela McLean. Good afternoon, Pam. Welcome to the Star Coach Show. I am so honored to have you with us today. Thank you, Meg. Great to be here with you. So you are definitely a pioneer in the industry. You have been working and coaching a long time, have a couple books around coaching, which we're definitely going to dive into today. But I would like to start with what was it that brought Pam to the field of coaching and lighted that interest for you? It's a great question. And in fact, what brought me to the field of coaching was actually my late husband, Frederick Hudson. He was the founding president of the Fielding Graduate University. And at some point in the well into the 80s, the field of mentoring really had taken hold. And as he left Fielding, he wanted to establish a place for adults who had all the degrees they wanted to come together and learn about mentoring. So it was out of that we moved into coaching. And my own background was as a clinical psychologist. So he brought a kind of a developmental, philosophical approach. And, and I brought what I had learned in, in 20 years as a clinical psychologist. And in those early days, I often talk with people who go through our year-long program that when you said you were a coach, people wanted to know what sport that it was such a new territory and and it has been a sheer joy to be on the forefront in those early years and watch the evolution and contribute to the evolution of what is now a field of study. Yes. Yes. And I, I tell a story kind of embarrassed. I was a therapist for 20 years before I transitioned into coaching. And when I was first doing that studying and transitioning, because this was about a dozen years ago. So if somebody asked me, let's say at a party or some kind of a social event, what do you do? If I was low energy, I would say I was a therapist because everybody knew what a therapist was. But if I said I was an executive coach or even that I was studying to be an executive coach, that just felt like it led to so much exploration and discussion that, you know, and it's sort of, I'm sort of chagrined to say that, but I kind of own up back then when, and because it's also having to kind of learn how to language that when you're first learning the field, particularly back then. And for you, it was even longer ago than that. Yes. And now it's so known as a field of study and and a a way of, of providing development for leaders at all levels. So it's a different time. It is a different time and, and it's the value that coaching brings is, is rippling through and that's just so exciting as well. So then not only did you go into the field of coaching, but you are a co-founder and the CEO of the Hudson Institute. So what led you to take it to that place? You know, probably several different facets. One is a love for learning and and wanting to provide a, a format for for adults to to learn. Uh, I think that that we have always had at Hudson as well a commitment to making a difference in the world and coaching leaders using our coaching skills in a variety of settings. We know that we really impact people's lives and and 
when we're impacting a leader's life, that trickles down into so many other lives. So those, those are two places that matter for us. Oh, that's exciting. And this book that you wrote is so impactful. I was just gobbling it up as I was reading it. You know, you just mentioned adult learning, and I think you did such a wonderful job kind of factoring in all the different aspects of adult learning. So as you read the book, there's graphs and visual and there's stories and there's, it's obviously the text part. I mean, all these different, I thought, my goodness, what a wonderful book. And it just grabbed me from the start. So let's talk a little bit about your newest book and what brought you to write a book focused on the internal landscape of a coach, which is just beautiful right there, the internal landscape of a coach. Yeah. So it, the motivation for the book came out of my experience of, of working with, with leaders who wanted to become coaches. And, and so often what, what people come to coaching with is a hope that we have some tools that, that will help them. And for so long, I used to say the most important tool you have is yourself, that our use of self, our ability to use ourselves well is paramount when we're doing work that is so highly relational. And over time, I began to realize that I needed to be able to create a model for what I meant when I talked about this that, that would make sense to people, that would give people a roadmap for how we cultivate that internal landscape. And there's this colleague of mine in the UK by the name of Edna Murdoch, who has started many years ago a coach supervision program. And she has this wonderful phrase she uses. She says, who you are is how you coach. Who you are is how you coach. And I've always found that to be such a powerful reminder that in order to be great as coaches, we have to know who we are. And when we know who we are, we have the ability to use ourselves well. So when you created that, you were looking at many different elements that go into that. I like the fact that you are able to say, you know, there's some research, there's some frameworks that that make sense. You're challenging us as coaches to, to expand our knowledge and to kind of look at those. So what are some of the things that you did to, to build, as you were building this framework that makes sense for you and that can help coaches understand who they are? How did you sort of determine what was going to be helpful for you in building, using frameworks to build from? Probably a handful of things, not the least of which is having been around for quite a while now, that, that as the decades go by, if we're awake, we learn things and notice things and, and learn from my own reflections, learn so much from working with others and just just taking note of all that, that I have been learning from others. And then, of course, reading. I'm a lover of reading, research, and all of that. And in the mix of all of that, what, what became so clear to me is that we, in coaching, we understand that we need these skill-based competencies. And at Hudson, we, we understand that people need to have knowledge of all kinds of different models and, and and ways of thinking about things. These are essential, but we also have to have this vertical development that, that is our internal landscape in order to use ourselves well. I came to see 
that that really is the distinguishing feature that allows someone to do great coaching. Mm. Because I can have all of the right words. I can have all the right models in my, in my mind. But if I am unable to connect well with you, or if I tend to put on my cape and want to rescue you, or if I don't have the courage to share something that might be a little bit uncomfortable with you, then I'm really not doing the best work that a coach can do. So one of the big things that you build this book around is story, script, how that sort of plays a role for us as both as coaches and as leaders. So how would you describe how the role that story and script play? In the book, I really pull a thread through and and look at a, a number of different theoretical frameworks that lay the ground for us to understand that so much of what we learn in our earliest years, we bring with us all the way through our adult life. And oftentimes it's invisible to us. And I like to say, you know, as kids, we were very smart and we all grew up in some level of dysfunction in our family, whatever that might be. But we're quite clever in figuring out how do I need to show up to maximize this experience of growing up for myself? And so I might have grown up in a family where I pretty quickly learned that things would go best for me if I played it small, or things would go best for me if I argued about everything that you brought up, or things would go best for me if I took care of everyone. So Mm -hmm. whatever it might be, and we drag this into our adult life without really noticing because we've got this habitual way of being ingrained in us Mm -hmm. and, and it becomes a bit of a prison for us. And, and so in coaching, what we know in our work with our clients is that this surfaces in one way or another, and we have to start at home and surface it in ourselves. So one of the ways that you talk about kind of turning that spotlight in or is using self as instrument. What, what do we need to know about self as instrument? Yeah. So if I have a sense of my, the stories that I bring into my adult life. And one of them, for example, is that, that what worked for me was to be, to really go out of my way to be there for others, to kind of almost overcare, to almost dote on others. Uh, when someone else had an issue, I wanted to be there to help one out of that. And we know in coaching that if a client brings an issue to us, and we get engrossed in that, we get drawn into their story, we get overly caring, or as I say, you know, we, I, I put on the cape, I lose my ability to use myself well. Mm-hmm. And so when I have an awareness of this, that this is one of my baseline stories, I, I create choice for myself. Now I can, I can know that that is a tendency I might have, and you're telling me a story it just hits me in the heart and I, I just want to, you know, reach over and, and, and make things okay for you. But I see it and I go, so I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm, I'm just going to stay in my own seat and help you see and, and connect well with you. But I say in the book, you know, I want to be able to walk in your shoes without wearing them. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and so if I'm wearing your shoes, I'm, I'm drawn into your story and I'm no longer able to be of value to you. So that's one example of, of using myself well. 
One of the stories you share in your book that is so powerful is the way that you learn to slow down, that the experience you had to walk through with your husband as he was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. My heart just went out to you. It's such an incredibly difficult disease to live with. But as you talked about how you slowed down your life to partner with him through that, that that impacted your your work. I just was wondering if you could share a little bit of that because it was such a beautiful story. Mm, yeah, that was a long journey. And so it has been a source of a lot of learning for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, And I was running a business and managing the family and all. And I would come home at the end of a day. And (laughs) one of the things that he would say to me, he would be waiting for me at the door and he would say, where have you been? And, (laughs) you know, it would be easy to get hijacked by that. Mm -hmm. And so I did so much work on my presence and and so much work on being able to meet him where he was in because he would never be able to meet me where I was. Right. And so that took a lot of intentional practice for me and the gift in it was that when I could achieve that we could actually connect and it would be in a different way it wasn't in the old way but we could find a way to connect and you know that's a dramatic story but i think the same thing happens mm-hmm. with us with every client we see that that when we can slow ourselves down and notice where is the space for us to connect with our client, not our client with us, um, not at my speed or my right. rate, then something happens in that moment. Wow. And that sort of, that lesson that you've learned, that perspective that you've gained, how is that sort of um, used in your role as you supervise coaches? Because we'll talk about, you know, the role of of coach supervision, which is different than, well, actually, let's maybe just start there. I know that was circuitous, but let's start with what is the role of coach supervision? So, you know, when I started writing about this, there might have been a better term than coach supervision, but it had that train had really left the station in the UK and other parts of the world when, when we in the US got on to supervision. And so I often say it is supervision, that we're creating a supersized vision of our work. That's really really what we're doing in supervision. You know, we think traditionally of a supervisor checks on your work. That's not what this is about. This is about being able to press pause, to step back and to look at my work from different angles and, and to be curious about what happens at different times in, in my work. And it is a place for us to, to grow uh, and, and to really continue to be on our own path of development. I often say to people, you know, that, that there is no destination here. This is all about journey, that for us to be at our best, we have to be committed to continually being on the journey of developing ourselves. There are six dimensions that you talk about in this journey about it to being able to self-coach. And by the way, your book, obviously, you know this, but I'm sharing with, with others is would be just as impactful for somebody who's a professional coach or who coaches as well as somebody who is a coach leader. 
somebody who's a leader and uses coaching in their leadership style. I mean, and these dimensions would be the same. So I would love to walk through the dimensions and just talk a little bit about each piece sure, sure. because there's, they're incredibly powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So I would love to do that and just preface it by saying, you know, these dimensions interact. There's a lot of interplay and some might be more important than others at any particular conversation we're in. But one, one area is that of presence and, and presence is first presence to ourself. A presence to our own inner chatter, a presence to our own assumptions and biases and all that we might bring as we're walking into any coaching session that, that when we're present to what's happening internally, when I'm able to kind of hang my assumptions out in front of me, it creates choice for me, more choice to be present. And I also talk in there about presence to the relationship that that every time you and I come together with different people, there's something that, that is created there that is unique. Yes. And when we're present to that, we, we can use that and, uh, to help us see things in, in new ways. So in so many ways, our presence is baseline for us. And, and we live in a world that I think more than ever before is filled with so many distractions. And so the, the very notion that you've got a cell phone in your pocket or in your purse or on your desk or something can alter our presence. And, and if it were possible to require that coaches develop a mindfulness practice, that would be a good thing. Of course, we, that has to be a choice for us. But, but when we think about how we cultivate presence, there's probably no better way than to engage in a mindfulness practice. And, and that doesn't mean we have to sit on a pillow for 20 minutes or for a half hour in a special room. We can do it anywhere, anytime, for any amount of time. Uh, so, so presence is one. The next area I talk about is empathy. And I often talk about how empathy is our glue. Mm-hmm. That without empathy, it's really not possible to do much in our work. And in the field of psychology, there's been quite a bit written, quite a bit of research on as long as you have a methodology, because we have to have a methodology, then what, what seems to be even more important is the quality of our connection, that the quality of, some might call it a working alliance. I think of a continuum in this area, that we can be overly empathic, and that does not serve us well, and we can be almost disconnected. And so finding that center point for myself, mm-hmm. to figuring out where my work is so that I can calibrate as much as possible really allows us to talk about what is most important for us to be here for. And how would you advise people to find their center, to find their calibration? Well, I think there are a handful of ways that we can do that. We can do some reflection ourselves. And that's often a great source for us. We can get feedback from, from colleagues. We can engage in coach supervision. And we definitely start to notice where our patterns are when we step back and, and engage in a process like that. Excellent. The third area I talk about is a range of feelings. And this is particularly important. And, and, and sometimes I, 
I'm in conversations with with people who want to become coaches and go, oh, feelings. I that's the thing of therapy. That's, that's yeah, exactly. I love that you say feelings are human. <laughs> we yeah. have feelings. Feelings are human, and so we all have feelings. And our as as coaches, I believe we need a broad range of access to feelings because if if we don't have that, there's not, we're not going to be able to hold the space for a client to go where they need to go. So if I'm uncomfortable with anger, there's going to be very little space for anger to show up in my coaching. If tears make me very uncomfortable, then I'm going to be handing the box of Kleenex and, and sending a message, you know, please take care of yourself. And so that range is important for us. And, and I also think that our feeling repertoire so often is influenced by the way that we grew up. So many things are influenced. I mean, this, right. you know, a couple of yeah. times now we've really talked about how we were raised or, or our experiences really lead to the way that we engage with many different things. Right. Yeah. And the reality as well, that feelings have layers of intensity that I can say I'm blue, but you know, on a scale of one to 10, that might be just a bad day. Or so, so knowing that there are these, there are layers of feelings and that as well, we human beings are capable of having two feelings. It's possible for me to feel deep grief and great joy at the same time. And, and so for us as coaches, Good for us to pay attention to. Do I have feel those? Do I have a, a whole group of feelings that are no go? I don't go there. That's not. That's not where I'm comfortable. And what can I do to just expand my repertoire so I can meet my my clients where they are? Wow. We've done three dimensions so far: presence, empathy, and feelings. And each time, Pam, you've really touched on the fact that we need to do some grounding. We need to do some work on how we're showing up in each of those areas, what we need to potentially move out of the way to be able to show up to that situation in the most productive partnership we can with our client, which is the basis of the book. I mean, how self is coach? How are we creating that? I love that you talk about layers of humanness, both for ourselves and for our clients. So for everybody keeping up, we've got six dimensions, the first three, presence, empathy, feelings, and then the fourth is boundaries and systems. And this is a very interesting one. And in my years of experience, I I think that this notion of boundaries is one that can be a challenge for us as coaches. And and I have this uh, wonderful, dear collegial friend by the name of Pat Adson, who, who provided this metaphor about gardens. And she talks about how, let's say you and I are coach and client and you have your garden and I have mine. Each of us has a fence around our garden and we have a gate and you have flowers and you have weeds and I have flowers and weeds. But if I am coaching you and I go in your garden without asking permission and I start doing your weeding for you, then I've lost the boundary, Mm. right? I'm now doing your work for you. And so when our client comes to us and says, everything has fallen apart, I have to get out of this setting that I'm in and I have to make a decision within the next three or four days and I roll up my sleeves and get in. Let's, let's figure out, let's, let's talk about how we can do that. I'm in your garden, right? Oh, what a, yes. 
Yeah. Powerful. Yeah. So if we see our role as coaches to help someone see their patterns or their relationship to whatever is happening, then we, we are upholding a boundary that allows us to do our best work. And when we start to move into, maybe it's colluding. Yeah, I agree. You've got the worst boss in the world. Or, or, or maybe it is rescuing. Then my boundary is not where it needs to be for me to do my best work. So once again, getting clear about that. So if you feel like maybe you're opening that gate and beginning to walk into somebody else's garden, what would you recommend to be able to check, recenter, whatever, whatever we're wanting to kind of refer to, but get the heck out of doing their work for them? Yeah, well, it really goes to the next dimension embodiment that, you know, our body is a great source of information for us. And if we can get ourselves centered physically in our body, head, heart, gut, and really be present and pay attention to triggers that are happening, it's quite likely most of us, when we feel the urge to rescue, to come to the aid of, to put on that cape, that there are some bodily triggers that maybe our heart races faster, or I can feel my blood pressure shifting, or whatever it might be, that that is information that when we can pay attention to that, we can take a step back and take a few deep breaths and get ourselves recentered in the moment so that we can make adjustments to our boundaries or what, what, whatever to get fully present to this moment. So I think our ability to embody a coach-like way of being is particularly helpful to us. So as we're talking about these dimensions, Pam, I just see how they're so interwoven yet separate. I mean, that they're each piece carries its own weight and at the same time are not interdependent, but maybe inter- they're woven together. Yeah. They're, they're very, they're almost difficult to tease them apart at, at times, perhaps. Yes. I think it's such a good point, Meg, because there is in any model, there's an artificialness about pulling things apart in this way, right? Or you know, even when you look at the, the skill-based competencies. That, yes, right? I was thinking the same thing. All those different ways and you go, you know, it's quite artificial to do that because when we, when we think holistically, it all looks different. But in fact, that's how we learn is by, you know, taking uh, pieces. Yes. Well, and it just sort of challenges us to kind of think about those pieces and then integrate all of them. So for everybody listening, we started with presence and then empathy. We went into feelings, boundaries, embodiment. And that sixth dimension is? It's courage. And in so many ways, it takes all of these other dimensions to support us in being courageous. Yes. And and I do think that in the work of coaching, this is what distinguishes coach that is all right from a great coach is the willingness to be courageous. And what do I mean by that? I I mean, our willingness to share an observation that's right in front of us that might be a little bit uncomfortable for us and, and for our client. But when we're present enough to see that, to know that that is connected to the work they're doing and, and use that right in the room, that is powerful for us. And, and that takes courage. Uh, uh, so for the person who, for example, comes to us because they want to 
they truly want to be considered for a new a new role and advancement in the organization and and when they get feedback from their own boss and and others one of the things that comes up is that they are not as they don't have that kind of gravitas they don't have that kind of presence you know that, that we often talk about and and that, that person comes to us for coaching. And in the midst of the coaching, you notice repeatedly these ways that the client vacates the room, so to speak, right? Or, you know, perhaps at, at an extreme, starts to, you know, look at a cell phone or whatever it might be. When, when we can say, so could we just stop for a minute? And I, I just want to step back and share an observation and see if it's useful for us and share what we have seen, what we have literally observed with our eyes, no judgments, just the observation, then that becomes the chances of that being of real value to the client are, are quite likely. And are abs- in, in my opinion, I think our clients are aware if we're not courageous with them. I think that on some level, they know if they're avoidant or if they're showing a behavior. And if we don't trust the relationship enough to be able to hold that up, explore it with them, I think we're letting our clients down. And on some level, I think that they know we're not being courageous with them. And I think you're absolutely right, Megan. And and you can see how in order to, to be courageous, we have to be present. We have to be fully present to what's happening to even notice a, a pattern or to make an observation. Mm-hmm. And we have to have enough empathy that we've got this trust and safety and respect that someone can hear this. And so there are all of these elements that we've just walked through that really show up that allow us to use our courage in a productive way. When I, in the previous book that I wrote, that was where I first introduced this model. And at that time, I called this area courage to challenge. And then I would hear, I would hear coaches go, you know, I'd like to challenge you. And I go, oh no, that's not what I mean, right? And so this time I dropped that and just call it courage. Because when I say, you know, Meg, I want to challenge you. It does not create a kind Mm -hmm. of safe space for us to look at Right, right, right uncomfortable, right? Right. And at the same time, just, and I like the way that you put that forward in, you're making an observation. You're, you're sharing what you're seeing in that partnership to explore with your client. And by not doing that, by stepping over it, are we really offering the partnership that we're there for. Right. We're, and, and it goes back to boundaries because now I'm colluding with you, right? And we know what happens when we collude is no change happens and, and, and you don't get that view of yourself that you came to be able to uh, get an, a new view of. Pam, such incredibly powerful information. I'm wondering what have we not touched on? I mean, obviously we can't do your entire book in a 30-minute span, yet I wanted people to really hear these dimensions, hear how we show up, self as coach, and and one of the things that you did talk about in the book, so here I open up a question to you and then I take it back. One of the things you brought up was that For the future of coaching, there really needs to be a basic understanding of psychological dimensions of the human being. That's our responsibility in this space. 
So for those who might say, well, I'm not asking, I don't want to become a therapist. I'm a coach, right? What would you say sort of in building out that idea of the basic understanding that we were sort of our responsibility to have that basic understanding of psychological dimensions? Well, yes, that, that, that is good for us as a coach. It's good for us as a leader that it doesn't mean that we're going to practice psychotherapy because that's not what our work is about. But there are these baseline theories that are so instructive for us in understanding how we develop as human beings. And when we have an understanding of, of some of this, we have a much broader view of the person in front of us. You know, I often say in coaching, we're not solving problems. We're developing. We're helping people to develop themselves. We're helping people make changes that are important to them. And our capacity to, to see the trajectory of adult development or, or to understand how the way that we attach as, as youngsters has so much to do with how we show up as adults or, or the notion that, that uh, we have these stories that we bring with us and they become invisible in, until we see that there's something in life that's not working as we would like it to. And, and then sure enough, these old ways of being start to surface. As coaches, we need the, we need the broadest repertoire of theories, skills, concepts possible so that we can do uh, the best work that we can. And, and the, you know, I think the other piece that goes along with this is that our own development is what makes it possible to work with a broad range of people. Uh, when when we're not committed to our own development, it limits what we're uh, able to do. And, and that's probably at the heart of this book. There mm-hmm. is this message that, you know, we human beings are complicated. Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful that we are? And as coaches, we have the privilege of working with others. And this is in so many ways sacred space to enter this space with others. And along with that comes an obligation that we do our own work on ourselves, so that we can be at our best. What a beautiful way to wrap the interview today. Pam, it has been an honor and a joy to spend time with you this afternoon. I absolutely, I'm not blowing smoke here. I absolutely love your book and strongly recommend it. And for more information, there will be a link and I'll share that in the close of the show. Anything else, Pam, that you wanted to touch on as we roll to a close? No, just great to be with you, Meg. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. So there's the show. I want to thank Dr. Pamela McLean again for sharing so much valuable content about how we can turn the lens inward and think about ourselves as coach and pay attention to those six dimensions and how we're showing up in each of those. If you'd like to know more about Pam, about the Hudson Institute, and the books that we discussed, check out the show notes at starcoachshow.com. All the links will be in the show notes as well as on the resource page at once again, starcoachshow.com. Now, if you're gaining value from the show and it's helping you in your coaching, I would just ask you 
to consider sharing the show with others. My goal for 2019 is that the coaching profession knows about star coaches, about the value that our guests bring, about the discussions that we have and the topics that we focus on on the show. One way you can help with that is to rate and review the show wherever you listen to it and let people know about the value that the show's bringing you. So thank you for that in advance. Now, be sure to never miss an episode by subscribing to the show to wherever you listen to it and peruse our past episodes because we have had so many different episodes. If you're a new listener to the show, be sure to explore what has already been offered because I've got to say I'm super proud of the content that the show is bringing for you. So tune in again next week. And until next week, this is Meg Rentschler wishing you the very best for your coaching success. Have a fantastic week.